Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a beautiful day to talk about some beautiful doctrines. Um, so we've, we've, we've been discussing justification now. Um, we will get into some, uh, some of the implications of justification, which are very important as well. recommend one of my favorite books, which is a long list, if I'm honest, um, based on this morning's sermon, kind of looking at the similarities between the Garden of Eden and the New Jerusalem, in case anyone is interested in diving a little deeper into that. It's a book by a guy named T. Desmond Alexander. He goes by Desi, because he's, I think, from New Zealand. Uh, it's fr called From Eden to New Jerusalem. Good stuff. Noah, yeah. I don't see you writing anything down. Oh. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not, I think it's probably like 200 pages or so, so it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he can read that. This afternoon. Yeah. But that would be a, just a helpful study if you're like, oh, that was kind of interesting in the sermon this morning. Maybe I could uh, dive a little bit deeper in that. So uh, we will start this morning by reading uh, a psalm of the day. Now I think I did my math right, because today's the 12th, and <laughs> it was so far so good. 12 plus 30, Noah, help me out here, 42. So we're going to start with Psalm 42, well, I suppose. Uh, and uh, then I have a prayer from, uh, I think, this, we may have done this book last week, but it's a prayer from Augustine, his opening prayer from his um, Confessions, uh, which has a line at the end that you may or may not have heard before, uh, but we'll start with that. So I will read for us Psalm 42 and that prayer before we jump into some of uh, these spiritual benefits. So, Psalm 42. Uh, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizer. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Great are you, O Lord. And greatly to be praised. Great is your power, and of your wisdom there is no end. And man, being a part of your creation, desires to praise you. Man who bears about with him his mortality, the witness of his sin, even the witness that you resist the proud. Yet man, this part of your creation, desires to praise you. You move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Amen. Thoughts on the psalm or the prayer before we jump into discussing spiritual benefits, (coughs) calling, regeneration, conversion, salvation, and adoption. If you're looking uh, for that prayer... I've already mentioned uh, Augustine in his book called The Confessions. Um, it's it's a it's an autobiographical sketch of his life through prayer, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, that's the opening prayer. So um, the TV seems a little dim, does it not? There we go. It was falling asleep. So we're discussing this morning uh, the benefits that flow from justification. So we spent the last two weeks talking about uh, justification. Uh, Does anyone remember how we defined what justification is? simply, it is that we are declared righteous. So justification is God's declaration over us that we are righteous in his sight because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And so there are benefits that come to us because we have been declared righteous by God, and that's what we will look at. At today, So when you are justified, when you are declared righteous by God, uh, God was at work in you, 
to give you the incredible benefits that we will talk about today. So the purpose of what we will discuss today uh, is to help you understand uh, these benefits of justification, that you are called, that you are regenerated, that you're converted, that you're saved, and that you are adopted by God. And then flowing from that, secondly, um, it's going to help us to understand and appreciate to a greater degree the mercy and grace of God in your life. Uh, that is my hope for what we will discuss today as we think about these uh, spiritual benefits. So the New Testament uh, describes Christians as those who are called by God, or called by the Almighty God himself. And so this means um, that there's this sense of, of lostness, that we are spiritually lost and God does something to fix that, to find us, maybe to stick with that analogy. Uh, and so as we read through scripture, we discover that there are two types of calling. And we want to discuss these two types of calling. The first we'll talk about is God's general calling. So general calling is a call that is offered to all persons of all times. And so we would turn to maybe uh, something like Isaiah 45, 22, which says, um, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And so this is, this is something that, uh, I mean, in this context, the prophet Isaiah is giving indiscriminately. He's allowing for any not to hear who may... We could even look at the words of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, and so this is, maybe we could even describe it as an open invitation for any uh, to come and, and partake of what is freely offered. Uh, or... Um, I had also Revelation twenty two seventeen. Come and let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take the water of life. And so, a conclusion that we could draw from this, the fact that God's gracious offer extends to all people throughout the earth, is that on Judgment Day, when we stand before God, whoever it is, uh, whether it's us or someone in the remotest parts of the world, no one will be able to say that they did not have the opportunity to know God. And this is a conclusion that we're also drawing from, from Romans chapter 1, where general calling fits within what we would even, I think, call general revelation, um, that we know, and I think Paul says that we deny it, uh, that because there is a creation, that there is a creator. So that's general revelation. Calling refers specifically to salvation, but no one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. No one can claim ignorance of the fact that, um, that there is a God uh, and he is worthy to be worshipped. And this is, again... Romans one twenty, me. I'll just read this. Romans one twenty to twenty three. <coughs> Too far. 
says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And his conclusion, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So I think, I think the case that Paul's making here uh, is that God has revealed enough about himself in creation, created order, uh, for everyone to receive true knowledge of God and specifically of his existence. And, and he says, so they are without excuse. His point is that because humans uh, have, this, um, have this sinful nature, uh, it is our propensity to then deny that. And, and I think the exchange that takes place is that we try to put ourselves in the place of God um, in, and deny who he is, worshiping, as Paul says, the, the created things instead of the creator. Uh, and... This entire process is just um, distorted by sin, and it, it the more the more you do it, I think as Paul goes on to say, um, exchange the glory, and then uh, verse twenty four, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. And the more that this takes place, the worse it gets. It's, it's, I think the analogy that, I, that I've used before is um, uh, of, of searing your conscience. Um, and I, I relate to that having, as I'm a burn survivor, and um, 40% of my body has been seared by fire. And so I have very little feeling in many of those areas, um, but that's what happens to our conscience, that, that the more we deny God and turn to the created things instead of the creator, the more seared our conscience becomes and the less we're able to submit to and acknowledge that there is, in fact, a God who is worthy of our worship. Uh, and I think that's what Paul is, is getting at in, in Romans 1. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's this process that is happening in, in all of us outside of Christ and around us uh, for those who continually refuse uh, to reject, um, reject God. However, when we think of salvation... Uh, we have the task in front of us of taking Scripture to those who are unreached, those who are far from God, even those uh, who are our neighbors that are just in willful rejection, willful disobedience, willful ignorance of this fact, and presenting to them what we've discussed in this general call. Maybe even something as simple as, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And, and from this, I think we, we see that God is gracious to extend a general call to all to come to him. And based on general revelation, based on the task that is before us, no one will be ever able to say there wasn't enough knowledge available to know God. Uh, and so that's the task that's before us, uh, that we are uh, to to tell, <laughs> to tell people of the hope that can be found in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, further than that, though, after the general calling, there's also a special calling. So we, we would recognize that there is, in fact, the general call uh, available to all. But the reality is that call is often rejected. The special call that we, we think of believers have come to realize uh, that, that God does not leave us to ourselves. He extends to us an even further grace of this general call in extending the special call. And so, think of a verse like John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What was that verse? John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6.65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So if we were left to ourselves, we would refuse the general call. We would not choose to come to Christ. And, and the, the frightening thing, I, I don't know if frightening is even the right word. Um, God would be totally just in letting us remain in our ignorance of him to suffer those consequences. We talked a little bit about that last week, um, that in justification, God is just and the justifier, and that he does, not, he does not wink at sin. He does not just say, okay, uh, you know, I'm just going to choose to forgive you. There is a price that has to be paid. That price is uh, Jesus in our place. And yet, in the special call, we see that God does something about it. God, in an amazing extension of his grace, actually draws us to come to himself. He draws us to Christ. And so, this is in, in the world, world of theology, um, within special calling, we, we would also maybe even call it um, the effectual call. This is probably more of the language of, of like the Puritans and in that time period, um, when, so we would describe this to say that um, if God calls us to salvation, we, we come to salvation. His call is effectual. Uh, and so the special calling is, in a real sense, a gracious and powerful divine summons. Uh, and it's something that we respond to. Um, 
there's a story, uh, the author of, of this book, he says, when I was a kid, my best friend, Orville would often ignore his mother's call for him to come home from supper, uh, for supper. I can relate to that. Uh, she would call out, Orville, come home. And I noticed he wouldn't respond. Then after a while, she would give a formal summons. Orville George Neville Jr., you come home. And Orville would go home. This call evoked a response of obedience, and it was effective. And so in a sense, this is what God does with this. He gives us a divine summons that is effective. He calls us in such a way that we are drawn to his son, and this is special calling that enables our hearts to respond to Christ. And so I think, I think even in this first step of, of the effectual call is, um, Pastor Tim was hinting at it in different ways this morning, and I think even throughout Genesis so far, um, or maybe when he was praying this morning, about God removing our hearts of flesh and replacing them with hearts of stone. That's from Ezekiel 36, 26, um, which I think is what makes the call effectual, that God changes our desires so that when he calls, we desire to come. And so uh, I think, I mean, we even said already uh, that left to ourselves, we would not, we would not desire to come. So God changes our desires uh, and we come. And in Acts 14, 16, there, there's a couple different verses that we could look at. Acts 16, 14 um, is, um, I'm trying to remember the context of this. Lydia is hearing the gospel. Is it, is it Paul who's preaching at this point? Uh, and so, speaking, one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so God is acting on her heart as she hears the word of God so that she pays attention. She understands what's said by Paul uh, and is drawn to salvation. Uh, I And I think maybe some clarification on there. The phrase was a worshiper of God. I, I don't think that means that she is a believer, as we would say that today. She may have been, well, she was probably wasn't Jewish per se, but would have acknowledged that there was a God, but there wouldn't have been this um, specific information. She of, was oriented on trying to live right. Yeah, and so then, <laughs> and then Paul comes and uh, yeah. gives the gospel so that she knows who Jesus is. Um, the Bible labels believers as the called ones. Um, think of 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, for you see, you, you see your calling, brethren, not that many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things that no flesh should glory in his presence. And, and the calling of God is, is done in such a way that he gets the glory. It's important to observe uh, that when God extends this special calling to someone, this calling begins a chain of events 
that does not stop until we are in heaven. Romans 8.30 describes this chain um, where it says, "These he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is known as the, the golden chain of salvation in Romans 8.30. Uh, it's noteworthy that Jesus himself said in Matthew 22.14, many are called, but few are chosen indicating, I think, a difference between the general call and the special call. And uh, this grace is, is, is undeserved. It is um, something that is supposed to magnify the, our God who saves. It's, it shows of his, his overflowing mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness. And our only reasonable response is to be eternally grateful uh, to God for our special calling. And so God graciously gives to everyone the call to know him. This is God's general calling. Believers, however, are described as the called of God. And this is God's special calling where he draws us to his son. So think, even think with me for a second here. Uh, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. John six forty four. How, how does this truth affect your life? How does this make you feel? How do, how do you process this? Are you thankful for this special calling uh, that we see in John 6, 44, that it is the work of God uh, to bring you to himself? Any thoughts on, on that? My thought from when right from the beginning of class today was the blessing of the relief of the recognition that it's all God. Mm. I mean, our part in it is simply to be grateful, to be mm. appreciative, to recognize what's been done for us and to accept that. Uh, so in a sense, we, we can't even really screw it up. <laughs> I mean, it's all been done. Yeah. And it's been done well and right. So, yeah. And we don't have to worry about, did I do this right or mm. did I whatever? Yeah. Yeah, which is such an interesting contrast to, like, the book of Leviticus. Like... Think of all of the regulations and all of the rules oh and like all of yep. all of what would be required in the sacrificial system. And like if you if you slaughtered the animal wrong, yeah. you start over. And like one of the things about I think one of the the takeaways from le reading Leviticus is just to say praise God that Jesus has done away with that. That he is the once for all sacrifice. Amen. And yeah. And and it's yeah, it's just an amazing reality for us to understand that sacrificial system was was pointing to the, the perfect work of Christ that was going to to come and has now come uh, to show us um we can't do it 
and yeah, it's just amazing, amazing contrast. And the fact that you know, no matter what it was, whatever form, it was the call of God in every one of our lives, however way it came to us, that we could be thankful that we're where we're at today, because we could be horrible, and and. And it isn't on any part that we did either. It was the fact that it was a call. Somehow we responded, whatever it might have been. I get many people that tell me, you know, how, how can God, a loving God, you know, take and throw these people in the hell? They all had the opportunity, somehow, through the media or person or whatever it might be, even through tribal areas, that they say, well, this tribe's never been reached. Well, the possibility of that tribe being reached is there. And somehow in that tribe, somebody heard and they shared. Somehow something took place. Yeah. And, and it's through that that God is saying, you know, those who have never responded, they can't say they never heard. Yeah, uh, David Platt has used an illustration. Um, I think he wrote it in the book and then... It was popular enough that it was in like every sermon he ever preached um, from that point forward. But it's a good illustration, so it, it makes sense. And and it's kind of well, I, I won't give you any commentary on it. I'll just tell you. He says basically in answering the same question you just asked, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Um, and so the the question is, well, what about what about the innocent man in the tribe and remote Africa, and his response is, oh, well, yeah, sure. The innocent man, tribe in Africa, he goes, he goes to heaven, of course. The problem is, there is no innocent man in, the, in some tribe in Africa. There is no innocent man. Uh, and we've all been, we've all transgressed the law of God, and we are all guilty. And that's where we started with our discussion on justification two weeks ago. Um, and so it requires an act of God to take us from guilty to righteous. The act of God is the sacrifice of Christ applied to us by faith. And uh, when he calls, he applies that to us and we have new hearts, new desires, and come. My thoughts go to loved ones who have not answered the call. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the difference is, why have... Why have I responded in a way that they haven't? Yeah. Yeah. And that is um, a sobering reality. Uh, something that I think would cause us to say, you know, praise God that we have, and then Amen. go to go to plead with <clears throat> others who have yeah. not um, flee from the wrath to come. That, those sort of things. Um, sorry, I've been reading a lot of Pilgrim's Progress recently, and that's the phrase, fr flee from the wrath to come. But, yeah. I'm uh, sure you've noticed, and, and probably we all have, but we, we, in so many cases, we ask the wrong question. You know, how could a, a loving God send all these people to hell? Mm. A loving God provided a way that these people don't have to yeah, go to hell. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the issue. Right. It's not that it's not that he's doing it. He's he's 
He's providing the relief. Yeah. And we're refusing it. It was a conscious decision on their behalf not to. They chose to send themselves to right. help. Yes. Exactly. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I missed a few slides there. Um, so then that brings us to a discussion on the new birth, which we also term regeneration. So you may be saying, well, what is regeneration? Um, we are working through um, Spurgeon's Catechism for Children. And I think, I don't remember what question it is, uh, but the question is, who can change a sinner's heart? Uh, the response is, only the Holy Spirit. Uh, what is this change of heart called? Regeneration. Um, and so, plain and simply, regeneration is God changing our heart. Uh, regeneration is a work of God, not of humans, which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Uh, I mean, you... you you probably understand what regeneration means as a word, but as we think about it spiritually, it's specifically this imparting of new spiritual life. It marks the beginning of our spiritual life. It's a new beginning, a new birth. This is what we mean when we say, I am born again. To be regenerated means that you were spiritually dead, and now have been, have been made alive in Christ. <clears throat> it's more than turning over a new leaf. Uh, the scriptures state that we are actually a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so this means that we are absolutely not what we were. The New Testament speaks of us in terms of the old man, the old self, and the new man. Romans 6.6 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Outside of Christ, before Christ, we are slaves of sin. But when we are born again, when we are regenerated, we are set free from the dominating power sin had over us. And we become slaves to righteousness. God regenerates us through his word, not without it. And so the Apostle Peter records um, that we have been born again through the word of God. Where 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, so on and so forth. Uh, but this is, this takes place through the Word of God. And for whatever reason, this just came to my mind, and so I'm going to say it, um, because I think he's gaining in popularity again. Uh, Andy Stanley has made the claim that, in his book, Irresistible, I don't remember the page number, I can get you the citation if you want it. I wrote a paper on it. And he said... Um, he said, someone cannot be saved reading the Old Testament. That's, I mean, wrong. 
to begin with. A bold claim, secondly. Uh, but it denies that all scripture is God-breathed. What's the context for that? Is he saying in absence of the New Testament, or is he saying... He's, I mean, his phrase is, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, and we need to, I mean, in, in a Marcionite way, we need to basically get rid of uh, the okay. Old Testament. And he says, we don't need it. We are, we have the New Testament, we don't need the Old Testament. Um, well, there's many to be if you don't have the Old Testament, you don't have the Old Testament, you don't know who God is. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And so... Exactly. Yes. So, so I, I just, I just felt it necessary based on, yeah. Yeah. Phrase that we had in Bible school is, the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. Do you know who said that originally? Yeah, but I don't remember. Okay. So it's, it's, it's more than, it's more than any of that. The, the New Testament. The New Testament reveals Christ. The Old Testament reveals the Father. Without the Old Testament, <coughs> the only image we have of God's nature is Christ the Son who came and sacrificed himself for us and we don't have a clear picture of know how to put it into words because it's not just the wrath of God it's also <clears throat> like the authority of God the um, like the New Testament and 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 the story of Christ and what he did is a is a big example <clears throat> but it's a single example and the Old Testament is full of it's list of example after example after example after example after example after example after example where nuance is added and detail is shown and you get an idea of it's like the fleshing out of the personality of God something like that it's I don't have the words yeah, exactly for um, I think Bavink would, would call it progressive revelation, where... Um, That's a good, yeah. So, you, like, you have, to, you have to view the canon as progressive, and, and you, you start with Old Testament, and not, not that the Old Testament and New Testament God are two different gods, but there's clarity that is brought as you receive more and more. Revelation. It's actually one of the biggest problems that I have with modern Christianity is that modern Christians tend to think about God as this this loving, doting, forgiving Father who is just there to forgive you of your sins and provide a path to eternal life. It's like, no, that that's what Christ came and incarnated to do, but he's the Son and he's a lot more than that. And God, the Father, is a lot more than that. Without the Old Testament, you don't have the picture of, of who he is, what that is. And like Christ came to point to the Father, and without the Old Testament, we don't have a clear image of who the Father was. So all that to say Sorry. we can't unhitch from the old testament. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And that's I'll step down off my No, 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 no. It's, that's fine. It, it was related. It's just 
yeah, uh, yeah. We it is need, kind of a soapbox issue for me. I, I understand. Yeah. I've got plenty of those. Um, <laughs> and and so um, you'll. Uh, how how far off do we want to get? I guess is the question. <laughs> Andy Stanley is a very popular figure. You'll probably also see commercials tonight at the Super Bowl relating to some of these issues. Like Jesus was a refugee. Those sort of things. I forget what that movement oh. is. Um, Jesus gets us. Yeah, that's that's what that one's called. Yeah. Um, and it's so weird. It's, yeah. It, yeah, so anyway. Um, just just have a discerning eye. I, I don't know if you plan to watch the Super Bowl tonight or not. <laughs> but... There will, uh, you'll see this in popular culture, so I felt it necessary to bring up, um, because, as Peter has told us, um, the Word of God is living and abiding, uh, and it is through His Word that He brings new life. So when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, a profound change occurs in our identity. Our new identity is first and foremost that of a new person. So in the deepest sense of personhood, um, I'm no longer a sinner. And Josh isn't even here. He was wearing this shirt last week that said sinner in quotation marks and had forgiven on the back. Which uh, Anyway, um, we, we no longer identify with our sin. We identify with our new identity, saint. Uh, we're holy ones. We've made, been made holy. We've been declared righteous by God, and this is what um, this is what they would even label themselves in, in the New Testament. Christian, the, the first use of the word Christian was a derogatory term. And uh, they would, yeah, called saint, holy ones, those sort of things. Uh, so now, um, we are now righteous. Uh, the old me, the unregenerate me, co- was constantly dominated by sin in the flesh, the, the, the flesh constant, was constantly pulling me down, causing me to w- live in ways that were in opposition to the will of God. But now that old person is dead, is crucified. And if we have been regenerated, we can say, I am not who I was. Well, a regenerated person still struggles against the flesh, struggles with sin, this inclination that we have. But we are a new person with a new nature. The flesh has lost its controlling power, although it still clings and tempts us. I think this is the the tension that exists in Romans 7, uh, that we are meant to have dominion over it uh, and to kill it, which we see in Romans 8, to mortify the flesh. The key is that we're learning to become in practice who God has declared that we are. And this is the issue of... uh, This issue of identity... um, I think shapes how we go about living our lives uh, because we can, we can live in a defeated mindset by referring to ourselves as uh, whatever our pet sin might be instead of referring to ourselves as what God has made us. Uh, so then regeneration is the work of God in which the Holy Spirit brings about in us a new spiritual birth and creates in us a new heart and a new nature so that our deepest desire and disposition is now to believe 
and trust God. Uh, so that is regeneration. Next, uh, talk about conversion. Conversion um, is turning from sin and unbelief and trusting in Christ. There's a there's a good book. I think there's some copies on the bookshelf. I should have looked. Um, it's titled um, very creatively "Conversion," and it's about conversion. And I would I would highly recommend that book because uh, it argues that um, this is this conversion is severely not only just misunderstood but not talked about um, in the in the sense of um, even kind of what Carl I think was alluding at like salvation just becomes this thing that that God does instead of talking about conversion which means that there is there is a change we turn from sin and we believe and trust in Christ think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 18 assuredly I say unto you unless you were converted and becomes a little children you may by no means enter the kingdom of heaven this word conversion in its basic sense means to turn but we are turning from sin and unbelief and turning to Christ. It's the idea that salvation and conversion is just the first step in the process of, well, the Protestant word is sanctification. And salvation is something that God calls us to, that we respond to, but overall, the process is something that we engage in with God that he enables us to, to go through. Yeah, and it's a, it's a continual. It, 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 this This process includes repentance and faith. So repentance and faith are two sides of a single coin, I guess is really how we could think about it. Um, and the Bible sometimes uses faith and repentance in a way that could seem interchangeable, but they do kind of have specific emphases. Repentance is a radical change of mind where there's authentic, maybe we could say godly sorrow for your sin, together with a resolution to turn from it. So I, I, I kind of think of repentance in, in these terms of, uh, it's a change of mind, uh, sorry, a change of heart that leads to a change of mind that you see in a change of action. Whereas faith is turning to Christ, turning to God, uh, by trusting in Christ to save you and forgive you from your sins. So repentance means to undergo change of one's mind. Louis Burkhoff um, rightly observes that repentance is totally in, an inward act uh, and should not be confused with a change of life that proceeds from it. Uh, but he points out uh, that where there is true repentance, there will follow fruits of repentance. Think of, uh, Jesus says it at one point, and it's quoted in Acts, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, your deeds, how you live, demonstrate whether or not your repentance and faith are real. And so the Apostle Paul makes clear when he stands before King, King Agrippa and describes how he's converted uh, and given a message from Christ to give to the world. The message was that people would be turned from darkness to light and receive forgiveness of sins in Acts 26, 18. And that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. 
In other words, if you genuinely repent, then you will, <clears throat> then the way you live must show that you have turned away from your sins. I didn't put those ones up there. Uh, so conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and trust in Christ for salvation. Uh, salvation and adoption are only two ones left, I think. Yeah. And adoption's kind of my favorite. So we'll see. But we'll, what time is it? Uh, we think of, uh, oh my, okay, we think of, salvation yeah, thank you, uh, we think of salvation in terms of being rescued by grace, um, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, to be saved means to be delivered or rescued, hopefully it's not a new word for you, uh, but God in his grace delivers us from many things, including the dominion of sin. So that we are freed from sin ruling over us. We are also delivered, rescued, saved from a life of fear and selfish utility. But the ultimate calamity from which God rescues us is his own judgment and wrath. Uh, think of uh, well, many verses. Jesus himself stated in the clearest terms, there's a coming day, that day, Matthew 7, 22, where's a day of judgment when God pours out his wrath and judgment against all unrepentant, which is all of those who remain unconverted. So to be saved is to be rescued from the condemnation of hell. Uh, Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and so Ephesians 2, this comes to us by grace through faith, not ourselves. This means that receiving salvation is through faith. And faith is, uh, we have many different ways of describing and understanding faith. Maybe think of it as the open hand to receive the gift, Acts 4.12. Um, it's not just simply faith in faith, faith in something, it's faith in Jesus. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. Uh, J.I. Packer makes the observation... God not only saves us from certain things, but also for something extremely important when he says, believers are saved from sin and death. But what are they saved for? To live for time and eternity in love to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and their neighbors. The source of love for God is knowledge of God's redeeming love for us. And the evidence of love for God is neighbor love. And he cites 1 John 4, 19-21. So salvation is the rescue, is rescue from ultimate calamity, which is the coming judgment and wrath of God. And Christ saves us to live in love to God and to our neighbors for time and eternity. And last but certainly not least, the benefit, spiritual benefits that we're discussing is adoption. Why I put this one last, I don't know. Well, I guess it logically follows. Uh, this is what I wrote my thesis on, so it's something that I've thought about a little bit. Um, becoming a child of God, adoption, which I actually meant, I don't have it, um, to read. I have a different J.I. Packer quote, but um, he says something like, if you want to, if you want to gauge how well someone understands Christianity, ask them um, 
ask them to explain like what their understanding is that God is their father, uh, which is an interesting thought experiment. But anyway, J.I. Packer says elsewhere, um, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. But cannot this be said of every man, Christian or not? Emphatically, no. The idea that all men are children of God is not found in the Bible anywhere. The Old Testament shows God as the father, not of all men, but of his own people, the seed of Abraham. Israel is my son, my firstborn, and I say unto thee, let my son go, Exodus 4.22 and following. The New Testament has a world vision, but it too shows God as father, not of all men, but of those who knowing themselves to be sinners, put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their divine sin-bearer and master. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. Sonship to God is not, therefore, a universal status upon which everyone enters by natural birth, but a supernatural gift which one receives through receiving Jesus. If you want, Oh, this is it. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, and, and so just even to take that further, um, there's a Jewish scholar, oh, it's 11.45 already, Jewish scholar uh, Jehoiakim Jeremias, who made the claim, and this is what I ended up writing my thesis on, that nowhere in the Old Testament do you ever read, and, and he included like all of the, the, all of the prayers that he could find that were written down, prayed in synagogues before the coming of Christ. Um, and he said, no one under the Old Covenant ever prayed to God as Father. And, and so... <clears throat> Then Jesus comes, and in the Sermon on the Mount, in the span of like six sentences, says, pray to God as our Father, something like 11 times. And so there's this covenantal shift, this reality that takes place in the sending of the Son and the Spirit, that we are brought into the family of God, that God becomes our Father by adoption, and... Okay. <laughs> um, all two did receive him, gave the right to become children of God. The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Uh, Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God, allowing us to cry out, Abba, Father. So adoption is the act of God whereby he makes us members of his family and grants to us all the liberties, privileges, and promises of having God as our Father. I've just finished reading, listening through Exodus. I'm in Leviticus right now. 
and that's the stage where God is setting up Israel how you are how this is how you're gonna to relate to me. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't set it up as though they are to relate to him to the Father. As as to a father. Yeah. It's Eric, fascinating. Yeah. Just quickly, when you adopt a child and the mm-hmm. judge declares this child is yours, he yeah. says that this child now has all the liberties, privileges, and yeah. promises yeah. of the family. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> that that is us because of God's adoptive work um, in our lives. Uh, so then, this is your homework for this week. Oh, yay. Um, but, yeah, adoption is amazing. Blows your mind. So let's pray to God who is our Father. <clears throat> Father, we're so thankful for these realities that come to us uh, by your declaration over us that we are righteous. And we ask that you would help us to live in those realities, uh, to trust you as our Father, uh, to know you uh, in that way, uh, and uh, we just ask that you would uh, be with us as we go from this place and help us uh, to live in all things for your glory. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. My pleasure.